If you have a Bible, you can open to Galatians chapter 5. We'll look at verses 22 and 23 this morning. And the text is printed in the bulletin for you on the next page. So seven months ago, seven months ago, our state entered the uh, COVID lockdown. It's been seven months. It's been a trying time for many of us. Uh, The last Sunday that we had just kind of a normal meeting together was uh, March. I think it was March 15th. Uh, And we talked about love. We talked about Christian love from Philippians chapter 2. It's, uh, it's the kind of selfless love that puts the interests of others before our own. Uh, we established the fact that as a congregation facing a pandemic, uh, everything we do ought to be done in this Christian love and for love's sake. So, so every time, uh, like the officers of the church have had to make some decision about not meeting or about meeting outdoors or uh, meeting indoors, or about what protocols we'll observe while we meet, or how we talk about all that with everybody. Every time, we've been pretty deliberate, pretty focused, pretty explicit about um, letting all things be done in love. Like That's really what we want to sort of shape the way we think about everything and drive the way we do everything. <clears throat> we don't want to be driven by fear. We don't want to uh, just be people pleasers, whether that may... Uh, whether it means keeping the government happy with us so we don't get in trouble or, uh, or we keep all of you happy, right? It's not, it's not our job, actually, to keep all of you happy. Uh, we don't want to serve each other with reluctant, begrudging hearts or resentment and bitterness. We don't want that to characterize um, our meetings and our service of one another. We want all things to be done in love. That's been hard, and sometimes it's hard to love uh, each other. There are times, uh, probably times like this, when it costs more in terms of our time or our energy or our resources, uh, even our suffering. So, um, so I thought we should have a refresher course on love. <laughs> uh, hopefully that'll be good for us. We talked about it at the beginning of this whole thing, and uh, we're talking about it now from the fruit of the Spirit. So <clears throat> um, Remember, children, especially, as we uh, get to the point where we read the scripture, we're going to do that together. This whole verse, we're going to read it, uh, two verses. Uh, we're going to read those together. Hopefully, these will get, uh, this fruit of the Spirit will get locked into our memory that way. So, uh, let me pray first, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, as we hear your word this morning, we want to hear it with faith. And we don't just want to be hearers only but also doers as those who have true faith. So we pray that you'd help us to be receptive and responsive to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read together Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we heard last week, uh, sort of the introductory sermon on uh, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, the fruit, it's this list of uh, nine personal attributes that primarily uh, characterize Jesus, right? Primarily these have to do with Jesus. These are a character sketch of Jesus, as it has been said. 
but also, this list characterizes those who belong to Jesus as we walk by the Spirit. The Christ-centered Spirit grows this fruit in us through our relationship with Jesus by revealing Jesus to us, by making us know our need for Jesus and, uh, and having our, our needs found and met in Jesus by uniting us to Jesus and keeping our attention on him and helping us to, to keep on abiding in him and he in us so that the life of Jesus is alive in us. That's how the fruit of the Spirit is born. The life and power of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, it's available to all believers, which is a beautiful thing. It's, it's really great. We, we can all be thankful that it doesn't say something like, the fruit of the Spirit is cleverness, charisma, influence, impressiveness, entrepreneurship, and lists like that. A list like that would be terrible. We'd be so thankful that we don't have a list like that. Uh, By God's grace, any Christian, no matter your natural gifting, any human being who's a Christian in relationship with Jesus, no matter your natural gifting, can bear the true fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's something interesting about this list uh, that we didn't talk about last week, uh, interesting about the list as a whole in general. The the word fruit is... uh, it's a singular word. It's not just the, the nine fruits, plural, of the Spirit that we're talking about. It's the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. <clears throat> Maybe that doesn't seem like a very big deal. Maybe you just skipped right over that because it kind of sounds right in English. Uh, maybe it's a really subtle point being made. I don't know. In English, the singular word uh, fruit can be used like this. We sort of use collectively to describe plural fruits. Like when you say a basket of fruit, you're usually talking about a basket filled with more than one fruit. Right, so in Paul's usage here, it might be something like that. But but with this singular word, there's probably an emphasis. There's an emphasis on the unity of the fruit. There's an emphasis on the unity of the fruit. The fruit are one, one fruit. It's not that Frank might specialize in self-control, but really not have a gentle bone in his body. That's really Jane's specialty. That's really her department, but uh, she's totally clueless when it comes to these other fruit or whatever. Like, it's not like that. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the real fruit of the Spirit always grow up together. They're one. They're one because they're the work of the one God in us. Because of Jesus who abides in us and in whom we abide The Christian cannot, for example, bear uh, joyless love. That's not real love if it's a joyless love. The Christian cannot possess an unkind patience. It's not real Christian patience if it's unkind. So each attribute of this list colors each other attribute. But perhaps Paul is especially saying, I think probably he is, that the first thing listed here, the first attribute in this list, really bears the properties of all of the following attributes. So it's probably true that in some sense, love is the chief fruit of the Spirit, and that it'll be a joyful love, it'll be a peaceful love, 
It'll be a patient love and so forth. If it's truly worked in us by God. This is the best analogy I could come up with. I'm really bad at these. uh, But here goes. I think it's sort of like a quince fruit. (laughs) A quince fruit. Some of you are familiar with that fruit. It, It smells a bit tropical. It smells like pineapple and lemon. Uh, It looks and tastes a bit like apples and pears, both. And when you cook it, it turns a grapefruit red, and it has a rosy perfume and something of the tartness of rhubarb, actually. (laughs) So the quince is a fascinating fruit because it has all these different attributes from all these other fruits that we're familiar with. So it combines them all. Likewise, love is this supreme fruit of the Spirit that has the pleasing fragrances of kindness and gentleness, has a deep, substantial, yet also subtle flavors of peace and goodness. It positively sparkles with joy, and it keeps forever because of patience and faithfulness and self-control. So this whole chapter, Galatians 5, it really does revolve around love. That's the fruit that we see talked about throughout this chapter. You see in verse 6, it's faith working through love is the only thing that matters, Paul says. Verse 13, through love, we're to serve one another. Verse 14, the whole law of God is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Verses 16 through 21, it talks about the desires and the works of the flesh These are the desires and the works of our self-love, the desires and the works of twisted love and a corrupted love that is no love. It's not Christian love that that produces these desires and these works. But the spirit of the love of God grows the fruit of love in Christ's people. And really, it's not just this passage about the fruit of the spirit that revolves around love. Love is the main theme of all the Holy Scriptures, as they reveal God to us, as they communicate God's will to us, as they show us the glorious destiny that God has in store for us. Love is a main theme of all the Scriptures. Paul, um, in another place, he has this great and famous chapter on love, right? First Corinthians 13, uh, you're probably familiar with it. We've talked about it a few times. Uh, we'll get to it in a minute, but did you know that John sometimes called the Apostle of Love. He also has a chapter on love in his first epistle. It's 1 John chapter 4. You can go home and read it, uh, the whole thing. Later, we're going to mention a few things from it. In 1 John 4, the Apostle of Love says twice, God is love. God is love. The very being of the triune God is love. One for the other in the divine spirit of love. There's nothing more essential to God than love. Love isn't just something God does. Love is what God is. It's who he is. It's how he is. And as he is the ever-living God, then we can say, as the scriptures often say, his steadfast love endures forever. His love is at the heart of every moment of his being, every moment of his doing. His love ultimately is behind all of his activities in creation, in the world, in our lives. His love is behind all of it. The story of the world 
is the story of God's love. The story of your life is the story of God's love. Everything he does, he does for love's sake. The Father loving the Son, and the Son loving the Father in the Holy Spirit, and God, this triune God loving his people in the very same way. And he calls us to the same divine love in response to his divine love. So also you'll read in 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he gave his son for us. We love because he first loved us. <clears throat> so it's because God is this God of love. And it's because this God has loved us that we're truly able to respond with love to him and to each other. This is the response that's called for throughout all the scriptures. Uh, As it says in Galatians 5, you know, the law is summed up in this. There's a few times that Jesus or the apostles say this, that the law is summed up in love. The law reveals the character of God. The law reveals the will of God for his people who are made and renewed in his image, and love is the very center of that. Love is the very essence of all the law. Jesus identified it... uh, As we heard in our uh, gospel reading, he identified it as the greatest and most important commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I mean, with your whole being, with everything you are, with how you are, you will love God because love is the very being of the true God. It's how he is, too. This is the first and great commandment, Jesus said, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's so interesting that he says a second is like it. Why does he say that the second great commandment is like the first? Because to us it seems like there's probably a big difference between, on the one hand, loving God, who is himself perfect, who is absolutely deserving of love, who has loved us and saved us. He's given everything for us. Yes, loving him makes a lot of sense. And on the other hand, loving your neighbor as yourself, neither my neighbor nor myself being particularly worthy of love, being spiritually ugly, or at least sometimes spiritually ugly, sinful most of the time. Here's why Jesus says these commandments are alike. To love God with all your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is why he says these commandments are alike. It's because of the triune God who is love. For this God and for this God alone, loving God with all your being... And loving your neighbor as yourself, they're one and the same thing for him. In the Spirit, God the Father loves God, the Son, his neighbor, as himself. And in the Spirit, God the Son loves God, the Father, his neighbor, as himself. And when God loves us as his neighbors. He loves us even as he loves himself, even as he loves God. That's an honor. This divine love is in the Spirit. It's the very same Spirit that God has given to us. So that Paul says in Romans 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. As Jesus has anointed us with God's Spirit, He has poured God's love for us into our hearts 
God loving us even as he's loved himself. And because the Holy Spirit is the one who's been given to us, it's not just in a sense love from God. Now we have the capacity to love, to love God, to love as God himself loves with his own spirit, to reciprocate his own love, to return divine love to God and to love others even as God has loved us. So the Spirit, who is himself the love of God, he's ours, so that we may be truly like God. We may truly be like our Savior and our Lord Jesus as we love others in the power of the Spirit of God's love. This love is our inheritance from God. This love is our eternal destiny. In the new heavens and the new earth, we who belong to Jesus will be beloved of God, and we will love in the name of Jesus like God loves forever. We'll do that forever. And this is why Paul makes such a big deal about love in his first letter, uh, letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 13 again, his famous chapter on love. Uh, God's love, it's not ambiguous, it's not amorphous, it's not nebulous, it's not even really up for debate what it looks like. It has contours. God's love has contours. God's love has a shape. The popular culture says, love is love. Love is whatever we want it to be. Love is whatever I define it to be. Love is whatever I feel like it should be. Love is love. No, we learn what true love is from God. We learn what true love is from the Scriptures, from what He's revealed to us. So Paul gives us the shape of it in 1 Corinthians 13. The shape of love, the shape of divine love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This love has a lot of features that sound like the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) that we find in Galatians 5. Both those sections, Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul talks about love, they describe Jesus perfectly. Because Jesus is love incarnate. He's the God of love in the flesh. So love has contours. Love has a definite shape. Love has a profile. It's Jesus. And by his spirit, this Jesus is alive in his body, alive in his church. So this great passage on Christ-shaped love from 1 Corinthians 13 is, is right in the middle of Paul's major treatise on worship, on how we're to do what we do when we come together as the church. This is the last third of... 1 Corinthians, at least, is, uh, is all about worship. How we do what we do in this hour, when we come together, 
And 1 Corinthians 13 is right at the heart of that. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, he sums it up, really, in his uh, closing statements. He says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. It's, it's true of God that everything he does, he does for love's sake. And if he is alive in us by his spirit, then it will be true of us too. Everything we do will be done for love's sake. So the worship service as a whole and each element of it individually is supposed to reflect divine love from God to us, communicate that love, and it's also to reflect our supernaturally endowed spiritual love to God and to each other. Love is the highlight of our time together. Christ-shaped love should be at the heart of every moment of the church's life, just as it is at the heart of every moment of the eternal God's life, because we share God's eternal life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love never ends. So if we as brothers and sisters in Christ are going to go on living together with God forever, and love will be the defining feature of our reality in eternity, then this love ought to characterize absolutely everything we do together now. So what might that look for us these days? What might it look like for us? What does it look like for the eternal supernatural love of God to be grown among his people as the glorious fruit of the Spirit these days? I mean, it's pretty simple, really. We get together. That's elementary. That's it. That's We get together. We make an effort to come to church. When we're here, we serve each other. Some of us help with setup. Some of us help with music. Some of us help with kids. Some of us help by participating in various parts of the service. It's called a service. Because God is serving us, and we're serving God by serving each other in love. It's all about serving each other in love. That's the only thing that matters. It's um, in the service. We engage in different things. We encourage one another. We serve one another by encouraging each other with the good news of God's love. We tell it to each other. We sing it to each other. We proclaim it together. Right? We receive God's love with faith. We sing to God in response to his love. We sing our love to him. We give gifts to help each other in times of need because we love each other. We, we hold fast to our confession as the most important thing in the world. We're holding fast to it together, and it really helps to hear others say it alongside of you. We're serving each other when we do that. We're loving each other when we just come to the point of confession of faith, even a confession of our sins. Doing that together, it helps. So it's all very simple. <clears throat> that doesn't mean it's easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Maybe it has been relatively easy, at least to keep up the appearance of love, until recently. It's a little harder now. Now, it's hard work even to get together. Even to want to get together. Now, some of us might be more driven by fear or uh, by self-protection than we're driven by love. Uh, Now, some of us 
might be resentful of restrictions that are placed on us. We forget the eternal glory of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are here. Now it's easy for everyone, everyone to get caught up in measuring ourselves against one another. We broadcast our own virtues and we heap shame on others. It's easy to just do that. Now it's easy for us to stereotype and label each other. We dismiss each other and demonize each other for uh, whatever views, cultural views, political views, views on the pandemic, whatever. It's easy to do that. Now it's easy for us to harbor suspicions about each other, to complain about each other, to fight each other, or else just to embrace the distance. Embrace the distance. Hey, we've got the excuse now to keep our distance. It's the governor's orders. It's what everybody wants, right? It's the easiest thing. Distance. No, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. We love with a Christ-shaped love, no matter what the circumstances. doesn't matter how bleak this world gets. No matter the circumstances, we love with a Christ-shaped love. Just because there's another new virus going around, just because this nation, one among many, is in political turmoil, just because tensions are running high pretty much everywhere you turn, doesn't mean God's steadfast love has failed. It doesn't mean God's eternal love has been put on pause. It doesn't mean that the fruit of the Spirit of God's love can't be born in us. In fact, this, I think, is the way God would have us think about it, and it really talks about it this way in all the scriptures. It's actually most wonderful when you can get fruit out of hostile conditions. Right? I mean, when the soil is wrong, you know, think of the agricultural analogy, when the soil's wrong, when it's too dry or too wet, or it's too hot or too cold, and a, a tree still bears good fruit, then you have something amazing. Then you have something worth celebrating. Or uh, to return to the analogy of the quince. You know, even when a quince is ripe, I think this is true for a lot, well, most of the quinces in my experience, even when it's ripe, you can't just pick it off the tree and eat it. You've got to cook it. You've got to throw it in the fire. <laughs> You've got to throw it in a pot and boil it for a long time. And it's the heat that makes it delicious. It's the heat that releases all its unique characteristics. It's the heat. The heat of trying circumstances really brings out the most wonderful fragrances and flavors of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the heat of trying circumstances that brings that out. Right? So when times are hard, when the situation is most difficult... Then is when the Spirit really shines most gloriously for being able to produce fruit, the life and the fruit of Jesus Christ in us. When conditions seem hostile to growing love, it's when they're most hostile, it becomes more obvious that true love is a miraculous supernatural work. More obvious that the only hope for true love is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So what better time 
to love one another with Christ-shaped love than when the whole world is disintegrating into the meanness and quarreling, biting and devouring. What better time to lean in toward our brothers and sisters rather than leaning away from each other? What, what better time to put the interests of each other before our own interests? What better time to sacrifice and to serve each other, even to suffer a little bit for love's sake? Now is the best time for Christian love. Now is always the time for it. Unto the ages of ages. We'll close with a bit more from 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we delight to be called your beloved. Triune God, the first word about you is love, and the first word about us as your people is that we are beloved. Help us to participate in your own love as we love you with all our being and as we love and serve our neighbors as ourselves. We pray that you would glorify your name as you bring forth this fruit, even in the most apparently hostile conditions of the circumstances that we face. The most hostile conditions are inside our own hearts, so please, Father, cultivate the fruit of divine love in us as we abide in your Son and he in us through your Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.